Welcome to Guest of the Year. I'm the host. My name's Mike. Today we've got five deadheads from around the country competing for a prize pack provided by Tasty Waves Dyes and a spot in next week's show. Tasty Waves Dyes is run by Dave, a former runner-up on Guest of the Year. Dave was a chef in Charleston, South Carolina, one of the great food cities in America. But when his restaurant closed during the pandemic, he found himself dyeing shirts to stay busy and the resulting work is really, really extraordinary. Dave is a polymath and a great artist, and as you can hear on the episode that he was on, uh, a great guy. It's tastywavesdyes.com. Check out all their links in the show notes. They do all kinds of apparel. Um, some dead stuff, some not. A lot of good Carhartt stuff. Uh, what, every time you post a, a, a photo on Instagram, I'm kind of blown away. Tasty Waves Dyes. As always, our prize pack provider was handpicked by Mason, a.k.a. From the Lot. Thanks so much to Mason and Dave both. All right, here's how the game works. We'll play the first part of a Grateful Dead live track, and each contestant will use the messaging system to silently guess which year their performance is from. Contestants, who are all in video chat to prevent any possibility of cheating, can submit their guesses at any time during the clip or in the 10 seconds after it concludes. Whoever is furthest from the correct ear is eliminated. The last two deadheads standing will have a best of three series to determine a winner. We've got our returning champion Todd here with us, and we'll meet the rest of the deadheads in a moment, but first, let's hear the first song. Without further ado, The Grateful Dead. are in mississippi half step uptown toodaloo at the orpheum theater in san francisco on july 18 1976 on the final show of the band's six show seven night run at the orpheum audience members were provided a glass of champagne for a surprise toast to the band the july 17th show was also the centerpiece of dave's picks volume 18 shout out to dave lemieux so we had two people get it exactly murph and our returning champion todd let's meet murph real quick Murph is 47. He's from Columbus, Ohio. Nice pull, Murph. What'd you hear there? Um, well, it was tough. It, it seemed like kind of a funky recording. I don't know if that was um, if that was an audience or or what that was, but um, I tend to feel like uh, I go a lot on just kind of the ambient sound of the recording and 
76 recordings to me always sound a little bit flat. In fact, sometimes I feel like I don't listen to as much 76 because of that. And sometimes when I do end up listening to like June of 76, I'm like, man, this is this is so good. Why don't I listen to this more? Um, but something about that recording, it just it the, the crispness of the band wasn't there for it to be 77. And Jerry's vocals in 78 are just so distinctive. You get more of that growl and more of that kind of recovering from the laryngitis. And to me, you know, it was kind of a, it was a, a stab in the dark, but you got to play the game. And so I know, you know, I don't want to go wildly in, in any direction. So 76 felt like, um, it was kind of what my gut was telling me, but it also felt like a safe pick, honestly. So that's, uh, that's what I went with. Perfect. Nice Murph. Welcome. Todd also guest 76. Todd is our three-time returning champion. He is 52 and he's from Wilmington, North Carolina. Todd, what'd you hear there? I definitely agree with uh, Murph's breakdown of what he heard. There's definitely a flatness to, to 76. It's like everything is really compressed and it lacks some dynamics. Everything is loud, if you will. And that was a kind of an odd sounding recording overall. Bob was uh, really, really loud in the mix. And again, kind of a flat, really compressed sound. The vocal was definitely not the wall of sound. It didn't have that dual mic quality that we've talked about a few times. And then uh, Garcia's guitar, very nasally. This is a big change in equipment. Uh, 75, uh, 75 was the year off, 76, they're finally back. And big, big change in equipment. And his guitar tone at this, at this point is super nasally and wiry sounding but a lot of it was what murph said which is just that overall sound characteristic you can hear it and it sounds like a, a recording from 1976 so both you and murph have said that it sounded kind of flat do we know why that was the case a lot of 76 recordings that i've heard sound like the whole band the pa every instrument is playing through like a, a chorus stereo chorus or a phaser type effect which would have been brand new at that time. And Bob and Jerry had been using it for their guitars at different times. But there's just this interesting sound to that time period. And uh, that flatness, I think, is compression in the, in the equalization. And it's, it's was their transition from the wall of sound to a new PA system, and then trying to perfect that over the next umpteen number of years. And you figure they were coming off basically a year off, you know, a handful of shows in 75. And so, yeah. you know, everybody's shaking off rust, the band and the, the sound crew and, and switching, obviously, from the wall of sound, such a distinctive and such a laborious setup to go to something more traditional, more streamlined. You, you know, I feel like, all right, let's cut them, cut them some slack. But um, they sure got it dialed in from a recording standpoint by 77. Yeah, Murph, would you say went down the other side of the mountain in 78 then started to? I think the recordings are still are still really good in 78. Um, I think the band's polish is is there's a trade off there. Um, a lot of people, you know, revere 77 with good reason. But I kind of like the raw energy, a little more raw energy of 78. But I think sometimes people, if you're listening to a lot of 77 and then you go to 78, you you may mistake the rawness of the band's sound and the playing uh, for like a recording thing. And I, I think the recording is still pretty much dialed in. It's just, you know, there's some equipment changes, I, I think. Todd can probably back me up on this, but I think Garcia's guitar, it's just a more, uh, it's a little bit more bitey kind of tone. And and just the playing in 78 was more of that kind of arena rock sound and more kind of, um, you know, from English Town 77 on, it just, it, it had that muscular sound, which I love. It's great. Yeah, I definitely, I agree. I called it a sizzly 
which is, yeah, big equipment changes, new pickups, uh, uh, new guitars, uh, and a, a bit of a distorted sound to Jerry. And you're right, they kind of go uh, a little more, yeah, less polished, a little more, little more deep, a little more haywired during that 78 era, really pump it hard a lot. Yep. And maybe it's not quite as tight, right? Maybe it's not quite as, as in the pocket at all times, but there's a reckless abandon about, about doing it, you know, just surfing the wave too. Yeah, it's a trade-off. Awesome tag team breakdown there. Nice work, guys. <laughs> You're both on to the next round. Joining you in the next round will be Ken. Ken is 55, and he's from Haverday Grace, Maryland. Ken, you were two years off of 78 with your 76 guests. What'd you hear there? Um, well, they were just talking about, like, rawness of 78, and I forgot which of the gentlemen was saying, you know, a lot of people might mistake that, <laughs> the rawness for the bad quality of uh, recording, but... Um, what I was trying to key in on, I couldn't hear Keith, and I, I knew it was Keith, but he was like, he seems so low in the mix, and I'm trying to listen out, listen for him, and I kind of got lost in it all, and all of a sudden, the song's over, I'm like, oh, shit, I got to type in a, a year, <laughs> and just went with 78. It was kind of a, a feeling I had, and that's what I went with. So you didn't hear Keith there? I, I, I did eventually, and but he was real low in the mix, and but... I knew it was later in the seventies, right from the get go. And I'm like, where the fuck is Keith? And, and then finally I did manage to key in on him. Well, as we covered last week, Keith did less as the seventies progressed. So if you can't hear him, then the later seventies yeah. is probably a good guess. So, mm -hmm. right. Awesome. You're on the next round again. Joining you is Jack. Aaron is odd man out by one year. Jack guessed 74 and Aaron guessed 73. Jack is 45, and he's from Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, what'd you hear there, Jack? Well, I spent the I spent way too long trying to remember when Half Step, when they started playing Half Step, and I got caught up on that. And then I was like, okay, I got to go with something. And I, my first thought was 76. And then I was like, I don't know. I think I'm hearing a lot more Phil in this than the way I usually listen to shows. Um, and so that kind of threw me off a little bit. And I was like, maybe it's Wallace Sound because I always hear, I always hear Phil better on Wallace Sound shows. Like they were talking about the lyric, like the uh, vocals don't sound the same as a 74 show, but I kind of forgot about that. Yeah. The last minute I went 74. So what do you, what would you attribute your initial gut reaction 76 to? It just sounded, it sounded later seventies, like mm -hmm. I just I just throw on the uh, Sirius XM app, and I'll just listen, and then I won't look at my phone until I take a guess, you know. And those are all, everything on there is 77, 74, 72, just about. So maybe that threw me off. I don't know. I don't know if any of y'all heard this today, but at 9 a.m. Eastern time, when I pulled into work, I played Guess the Year on Sirius XM, and they played a sugar mag. And I listened to it for about as long as Mike plays a song and I heard it out and I thought, okay, this is going to go with 1971 here. And I look up and it says 1982. <laughs> yeah. And I'm yeah. thinking to myself, I'm a goner tonight. I'm a goner tonight. I lost it. It's all, it's all over. And then Guys, I, I listened, we may have a window tonight. We may have a window. I listened, I listened for another two seconds and I realized that they were wrong and looked it up on my phone real quick and played the sugar mag real quick. And it was 1972. So I was off by, you know, one year. Okay. Nine. Never mind. Todd, oh, my Todd, God. Todd oh, reigns supreme. God. 
Oh man, he, he made you guys crazy. Just, pull just the give him the prize pack you. now. We're, we're, we're like the Washington Generals here. It's like the it's the Todd show, yeah. and, the, and the Washington Generals are just uh, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, look out man you're gonna get deep pants yeah. uh, I'm, I'm game i'm game i that's, thought you'd like that story i thought you'd like one. that story love that aaron one year off the next uh round pace you guessed 73 aaron yeah. is 52 and he's from eugene oregon by way of lincoln nebraska aaron sorry to, you're eliminated what'd you hear there uh what did i hear there? well yeah i was i had troubles hearing um i didn't yeah not a lot of keith so and then and then i think the the whatever i think that the tempo i i fell i fell on the wrong side of the fence based on tempo and so um and 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 i and then i then i started was in my head and i was thinking maybe keith a little bit of tentativeness perhaps so so you you run the website gratefulweb.com um yeah i'm I'm part of gratefulweb.com yeah um there was uh, officially 1995 two two brothers uh mike and barney moran started the grateful web um in in uh Boulder, Colorado. And I met Mike in Lincoln, Nebraska, at the University of Nebraska. And uh, so we bought that domain and actually built Grateful Web was a thing in 1995. And it was a community website. And it's grown into a pretty significant uh, music magazine with uh, articles and reviews, photography, videography. And so you started the site in 95. How did you get into the dead? How did you get to that position where you're starting at gratefulweb.com? Oh yeah, well, my, me personally uh, was my babysitter, my next door neighbor, the girl next door, who was probably four or five years older than me. I don't even know exactly how old she was, but anyway, she figured out the Grateful Dead in '86, uh, right? In 1986, I would have been uh, 15, 16 years old, and she made a ruckus. Her mom hated it. They had a blowout argument in the parking in her in her front yard, and their friends showed up in a bus, jumped on the bus, and took off. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> no so there was, yeah, I was like, what was that? And I think that was the whole touch head thing. And then my buddies, uh, college buddies in uh, like 91 put me through the roof, but you know, and at which point I played the song Tennessee Jet on a tape player probably 50 times in a row. I would literally hit stop and rewind, stop and rewind. So um, that was kind of my trajectory, but then, so then later on, these, we bought the domain and kind of a brainchild of this college buddy of mine, Mike Moran, and uh, we started growing to that site. And it's always been a non, non, non-making, money-making thing. So people like that too. So. Uh, well, well, thank you for the site. I mean, I, I yeah. go there occasionally. And oh, cool! I'm glad you like it. Um, <laughs> it's been a pretty successful thing, kind of a learning as we go kind of thing. That's very Grateful Dead spirit, the yeah. Grateful Web, you know, DIY yep. ethos, just yeah. very punk rock, cool. Aaron. Thank you very much. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, and and good luck to all of you guys. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Murph, Ken, Jack, and Todd are on to the next round, one step closer to the Tasty Waves Dies prize pack. Let's play the song.
So that was a nice Bertha there at Manhattan Center in New York City on April 5th, 1971. The band had just lost Mickey Hart as a drummer two months before the show, and Pigpen was incredibly ill. So it was a transitionary show. Todd and Murph both got it exactly again. Nice work, Todd and Murph. Todd, what'd you hear there? So you could tell, I could tell right away that it was... Uh pretty early stuff but what i picked on pretty much instantly was uh jerry garcia's guitar sound it's extremely distinctive uh in early 1971 um it's got what i would call a real grind to it it's got a, it's it's relatively distorted compared to his other clean tones it's almost always got a real grind to it if you listen to the cd collection from the fillmore in 71 it's that same uh really really thick heavy uh, guitar sound. So that was there prominently and everything else just sort of fell into place after that uh, with the speed of Bertha and the nice bouncy uh, interplay, you know, fill, filling in all the little pockets here and there really, really well. But for me on that one, that's the, the early 71 guitar sound. Awesome. Um, thanks, Todd. Murph, you also got 71. Anything you want to add? Well, Todd nailed it with the guitar t guitar sound for sure. Um, I also just noticed right away Phil's bass sound too. To me, like almost immediately, it sounded really close to the Skull and Roses version. Um, and that was my initial gut instinct. I didn't think it was that version, but I thought, okay, this this sounds close enough to Skull and Roses that I think it's, it's probably going to be 71. And the further we went along without hearing Donna coming in on those um, on those harmonies, when we get to the chorus that kind of solidified like you know i'm going to skew earlier i don't i don't know if donna i don't think she joined the band yet then uh i i couldn't hear her. um but my gut instinct right away was 71 and and yeah for all the reasons todd's saying and it, it just felt uh felt early like that smart the not hearing donna that's a that's a nice pull way to go murph <clears throat> well Ken guessed 1972 and Jack guessed 1970. So they're both one year off. Everyone's on to the next round. Ken, uh, what'd, you, uh, what'd you hear there? Why'd you guess 72? Uh, um, it was kind of a shot in the dark. I could have gone with 70s, 72s. You know, just those early bouncy Berthas, uh, fill, filling it all up and, and all that. Um, yeah, Donna wasn't in there. It was kind of, I don't know if you saw before I clip ended i was shaking my head i didn't know where to go so i just popped in 72 <laughs> kind of playing the game there yeah i guess so <laughs> <laughs> well it works you're on to the next round ken uh as is jack jack you guessed 70 why 70 um i didn't really hear any keyboards in there um so i was thinking maybe you know that 70 early 71 period and then for some reason, Bobby's voice sounded real early to me. Like for a second, I thought that sounds like Bobby in 69, like his voice. Um, so I just went with 70. Nice. Well, everyone's on to the next round. Let's play the song.
The guesses are in. It was They Love Each Other at Baltimore Civic Center on April 19th, 1982. Mickey played the beam during the space segment of this show, which he famously developed for the Apocalypse Now sessions at the request of Francis Ford Coppola. So two people were equal years off, Jack and Todd. Jack guessed 81, Todd guessed 83. Jack, we'll start with you. You guessed 81, one year off. Nice years. What'd you hear there? You're on the next round. Um, I don't know. I knew it was Brent, but it didn't sound late 80s. I was going 80, 81, 82, even. I thought about 83 for a minute. If you'd have played Mickey playing that beam in the space segment, I'd have had it right on. <laughs> Are you a big uh, beam guy? I'm a drums in space. Yeah, I go to Dead & Company shows just for the beam. And I, I stand up for drums in space too. <laughs> Respect. Uh, I love I love beam people. Luke, the only other three Peter was a huge beam guy, and he still sends me good space segments. Um, what uh, What do you like about the space segment and beam in particular? I mean, I just I don't know. I just get into it. Like I zone out, and I don't know. Especially being there in person, like you can just feel it hitting your chest and going through you, and resonating with the people around you, and like. When I was at shows in 95, like, I was, everybody's like, drums drums and space started, and everybody's getting up and leaving. I'm like, what's going on? Where's, I was like, why is everybody leaving for this? Like, this is cool. <laughs> you know? So, and I don't know. I just always have been. Uh, when did uh, space peak in your mind? 1983. Wow. I don't know. At some point, <laughs> that's kind of a joke. With, that's kind of a joke with me and my friends. Um I don't know why I started saying it, but I was like, yeah, 83 space is the best. And so they're like, oh, which one? And so now I've like spent the last few years trying to prove it. <laughs> you know, like the other day I was listening to 10, 14, 83 Hampton. And it's like a real like sinister space going into a Spanish jam. I'll just turn that all the way up, open up the windows and drive down the street. And people are like, what's going on over there? Far out, man. That's awesome, Jack. Uh, <laughs> you are on to the next round. Right on. Todd guessed 83. Uh, one year off of 82. Todd, what'd you hear there? Well, first, I just want to say that I'm a huge drums and space fan. Absolutely huge drums and space fan and always stood for drums and always uh, jammed out to space to the max. Absolutely. Uh, I guessed 83. I heard Bob Weir playing some uh, real high notes, real harmonic-y notes, and he didn't have a whammy bar yet, so he wasn't making them go, wow, wow, which he started in 84, so I sort of put an upper limit on that. But also, Garcia didn't sound like he does in, in 84 and 85, and so I started to think backwards a little bit. Uh, and it sounded... Um, it just sounded sort of in between that mid 80s and the early 80s time period. And I didn't hear anything that was particular to clue me into a particular year. The overall audio quality, like Murph was talking about on a, on a couple ago, the, just the overall audio quality, it sounded to me like the balance and the EQ and the hiss, like an 83. So I went for it. What, what's up with Bobby and the whammy bar? So did he keep that throughout after that? Um, he, he played a guitar with, a with, a, a whammy bar for a long, long time after that. He plays some hard tail guitars now and doesn't mess with the whammy quite as much, but yeah, 84, 85, certainly 87, uh, tons, you know, he hit something and then it would just go, wah, just hit it once sort of, he didn't like Eddie Van Halen it where he was doing all sorts of crazy stuff, but he hit a chord and then it, it would just sort of go, wah, in classic Bobby style. Awesome. 
Do you have a, a take on Bob's use of the whammy bar? I think uh, his use of it uh, was super effective and it was also really unique. Uh, a lot of people were using them at that point in time and still are to do all sorts of different uh, cool stuff. But this idea of sort of using it rhythmically and tuned up sort of with the uh, tempo of the song, I think was really super effective. Uh, listen to uh, some fall 85 uh, shows uh, and you can hear it really well. The Greek in uh, the summer of 84 and it's, it's all over the place. Yeah, he kind of went crazy with it as soon as he got, got hold of one. Shiny new toy syndrome there. Yeah, 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 totally. Cool. Right on, Todd. Thanks. You're on to the next round. And Murph will be joining you. Murph guessed 85. Ken guessed 92. So yeah, Murph is on in the next round. Murph, why 85? Oh, man. Um, I have to admit that, like, for me, sussing out between 82 and 86 is just, that is my absolute, absolute weak spot. I probably shouldn't admit to that. Um, but it's what I've listened to probably the least. And it also, I think it just... It, it's the most samey. I think the big distinctive thing for me, you know, I'm not, I'm not a musician. I'm not as much anywhere near an equipment guy like Todd is, but the big differentiator is Jerry's voice. And I just kind of, I, I sort of whiffed on that. Thanks, Murph. Ken, 92. Sorry to see you go. Uh, what'd you hear there? Well, wanted to think 80s, early 80s, but Brent sound, it sounded like a much better sample or what. And I, then I started thinking, okay, well, maybe this is 90s, but Jerry's voice is pretty good. I, I don't know. But I, then I got clicked on the early 90s, and then the uh, harmonies came in. I didn't hear Brent. I'm like, let's go for it. And that's where I went. Uh, Ken, how did you get into the dead? Well, um, growing up, uh, the Beatles were uh, deities in my home. Uh, being a rebel, I listened to a lot of Pink Floyd at the time, as a certain uh, teenager does in the 80s. Uh, you can picture what I looked like back then. Um, WNEW in New York had a program, Saturday Morning 60s. I'd listen to it all the time. And they played uh, St. Stephen and the Eleven from Live Dead. And all of a sudden, that made sense to me. Then, interestingly enough, um, I took a deep dive into the studio stuff, even though it was a live thing that turned me on. Um, got to college, bet some other heads, and they laid some tapes on me and all that. Uh, and things didn't really, really take off until uh, E-Tree came around and you could just, you know, had access to all these pristine recordings and whatnot. And that's, that's when I really took the deep dive in. So that's, that's where I came from, and that's where I am. <laughs> Well, Ken, you're the man. Thank you so much for, for coming on, and uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, and take care, guys. Thanks, Ken. See you, Ken. Okay, Jack, Murph, and Todd are competing for two spots in the Best of Three series to see who wins the Tasty Waves Dies prize pack provided by our good friend Dave. Uh, we love Dave and love it. Tasty Waves Dies, so all right, let's play the song.
Okay. Guesses are in. It was Foolish Heart at Boston Garden on September 24th, 1991. Garcia said of the 1989 song, Nobody's playing chords in the song, not anybody. Everybody's playing lines, and the lines hook up and tell you everything you need to know about the harmonic content of the song. You don't wonder where it's going. It's so beautifully designed. It's like a clock. Todd got it exactly 1991, but Jack and Murph both guessed 1992, so everyone is on to the next round. Todd, we'll go to you. You nailed it, 1991. What'd you hear? So I, I got to tell you, that was um, I was not at all sure about that. I first wrote down 1986. It sounded like the tapes from Alpine, the audience tapes from Alpine in the summer of 86. The second set, One Night Starts with a Foolish Heart and the Wind is Blowing. And it just sounded like that tape, there was wind. It just didn't sound clear at all. It sounded like the wind was blowing. But I pretty quickly picked up on Vince's keys. And then Phil's bass didn't sound like the mid 80s at all. It sounded really thick and chunky and sort of soupy. Uh, I kind of, I was going to say 1990, I was going to say 1992, and I just plunked right down in the middle at 1991 on that one. Cool. Thanks, Todd. Yeah. Um, Murph and Jack both guessed 92. Murph, what'd you hear there? One year off. Well, yeah. So I, I did hear it, 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 my first instinct was that's Vince, but I, I couldn't tell him like, is that Vince? Is that Brent? Brent? I don't know. I was leaning towards Vince and then I was able to hear some piano in addition to what Vince was playing. So of course, then I'm thinking 91. Um, but then I just had this instinct based on kind of the bass sound. I feel like as the nineties went along, Phil's bass sound got a little bit kind of more prominent and more um, just kind of, you know, amped up a little bit. And to me, it had that quality. So I was like, you know what? Mike's the host, you know, he's, he can't just always, for every Bruce show, it can't always be 91 because there's there's fall of 90, you know, where where it's with Bruce and Vince, and then there's spring of 92. You know, there's probably 15, 15 or 20 shows in the spring of 92 where where Bruce was uh, playing with Vince too. And so I just went on a limb based on feeling like, well, it's it's too obvious to be 91. And I was like, you know what? If I'm gonna go as you get deep into this game you there's more of a premium on being right rather than being close and so i was like you know what screw it i'm gonna go with 92 um and i'm glad that uh jack was probably thinking similarly so we're all uh we're all surviving uh to to play another round playing the game playing the host respect and i did play a, a bruce 1990 like four weeks ago i'm pretty sure okay but i did throw it in there but i know what you mean i do do a lot of 91s um Jack, what'd you hear there? Anything you want to add? That was kind of along the lines I was thinking. I don't listen back to the podcasts in order, but the last one I listened to was a Bruce show. There was a Bruce show from 91. And so I thought, I don't know, maybe it's 92 this time. But right at the beginning of that, like right off the bat, I was thinking 89. And then I was like, no, that's, that's definitely Vince in there. And then I was trying to decide if I heard Bruce or not, kind of thought maybe I did. Uh, Jerry's voice came in and I was like, Jerry's voice sounds rough. Uh, let's go a little bit later. So, wow, you guys both thought the same thing. You thought I'd be more creative than I am. I was like, learn your lesson. Jack's, there. yeah, Jack's point about the voice too. I forgot to mention that, but that, that skewed me a little later too. Right on. Well, everyone's on the next round again. This is a really good match. Let's play the next song. 
Can I come home with you? Tell your mother and your papa I'm a little schoolboy too. Come on now, pretty baby. Okay. Good morning, little schoolgirl. At Clark University in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts on April 20th, 1969. Founded in 1887, Clark was one of the first modern research universities in the country. So... Murph and Jack both guessed 68 and Todd guessed 67. Our three-time depending champ Todd goes down. Todd, amazing run. We'll get to you in one second, but Murph, um, what did you hear there? 68. Well, the, here's what's funny. Um, Todd is going to be able to do a better job of telling us why. <laughs> um, because to me, I mean, it, it, it's a it's a guess, but I'll tell you why I, I guessed what I did. Um, I... I heard what sounded like more of that kind of primal dead sound. And to me, it's a lot of it has to do with the drum sound. Again, I'm not a musician. I can't tell you equipment wise what, what that drum sound it is, but it's almost just more like that um, snare sound. Uh, it's just sort of a distinctive sound, that tight snare sound. It also just the quality of that recording was pretty rough, which made me skew um, a little bit earlier. So I guess, you know, lucky just to, to survive. And man, um, we're not worthy, Todd. I, I, I hate to see you go down. Um, Jack, anything you want to add to that one? Yeah, a lot of, I agree with a lot of what he said. Uh, I was thinking 67 at the beginning of that. And then I don't really know what made me go later. Just thinking, yeah, it could be 69 for all I know. Todd, uh, I was I was nervous when we started because just the way you talk about the Grateful Dead, I'm like, man, this guy knows some stuff. Good game, man. Good game. Thank you. You too. Todd, yeah, you guessed 67. Well, what'd you hear there? So I heard uh, it didn't sound like the band was particularly polished at all. Um, Pigpen sounded super healthy and energetic and really on on point. Uh, but they just didn't sound as polished as they do in 68 and 69 to me. And maybe some of that was the recording. I don't know. So I was actually hoping it wasn't 66 and I hedged my bets a little bit and, and went with 67. Obviously, I should have uh, pushed that up by another year. Uh, but yeah, all about that sort of trying to figure out primal dead going up to live dead and that progression. And uh, that one just uh, just threw me off. Losing on this one almost just proves how impressive your your reign has been because it is so hard to win this game because there's so many variables. It's been a pleasure listening to you and getting to know you. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. This has been uh, really just the most fun thing that I've done in decades. Uh, the chance to uh, just uh, talk about my absolute favorite hobby for the past uh, 30 years uh, 
Grateful Dead combined with uh, uh, music and music equipment and audio, and then to meet everybody as well. Uh, emails that I have going on with some of the folks that have been on the show. Uh, yeah, super fun. I appreciate it, Mike. Uh, 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 really just simply appreciate the chance to be on here with all these great folks. It's been a lot of fun. Well, it's been a pleasure listening to you, and uh, you'll be back on the Tournament of Champions, right? I uh, will be here and uh, see where it goes from there. Awesome, Todd. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, Murph and Jack are on to the final round, best of three series, to see who wins the Tasty Waves Dies prize pack. Let's play the song. guesses are in greatest story ever told at winterland on october 18th 1974 lyricist robert hunter says he wrote the song to the rhythm of the pump in mickey hart's well murph got it exactly 1974 he goes up 1-0 in the series jack you were one year off in 73 tough break there murph nailed it you actually even included winterland did you recognize that show um i don't i didn't recognize that show specifically but there's that ambient sound of those Winterland recordings. It's almost like the crowd is uh, is kind of dialed into the mix more than your typical soundboard recording. And honestly, I absolutely love that sound. And right away, I heard just one drummer and um, Bobby's voice just sounded, you know, pre, pre-hiatus. Um, yeah, it sounded good. I really liked it and it had that distinctive sound for me. Nice work. Um, how'd you get into the dead, Murph? Um, so I've always been kind of a musical omnivore. I listen to a ton of music. You know, obviously I listen to a ton of dead, but I, you know, I listen to a ton of music. And um, I graduated high school in 1993. You know, I remember when Touch of Grey came out. I was more of like a classic rock fan listening to, you know, Rolling Stones, Springsteen, uh, Pink Floyd, and, you know, more kind of current stuff for them, U2, R.E.M. kind of stuff. Um, and I really was a dead skeptic for a while. I remember, uh, you know, everybody liked Touch of Grey. Everybody liked, you know, the songs you heard on, on classic rock radio, but I never went deeper. And then in high school, when people were starting to get into the dead, I was like, ah, 
I don't know, those hippies, you know, they just, they're just, you know, in for the party. But, um, you know, you, you go away to college, your mind starts to open up a little bit. And I have to say, so my then girlfriend, now wife, um, would go to, would go to see the dead every year at Buckeye Lake. She, she loved the scene. She loved the music. Um, and so, you know, I started to get a little bit more of an open mind, but then the thing that really did it for me, my, um, my summer after freshman year of college, I was working in the mailroom at a law firm and, um, a guy a few years older than me was a deadhead and he must've seen some sort of, you know, he was like the deadhead Jedi and I was like the young Padawan and, uh, Dave Hauserman, if you're out there, uh, he moved to Colorado a while ago, but I'm gonna have to find him on Facebook and send him a link to this show. But Dave, uh, was just awesome. He like, he brought in tapes for me. He gave me, uh, five, eight, 77, seven, eight, uh, 78 red rocks. He gave me more recent stuff too, from the time. I remember him giving me like a Charlotte Coliseum show from like 92 frost amphitheater stuff from 89. And just, he was pumping me with these tapes and, you know, you're working in the mailroom and there's just a lot of time to kind of BS. And we just would sit there and talk about the dead and, you know, that, that did it. So yeah, by, by the time, 95 rolled around I was like super super pumped super into it and we had tickets to sh two shows uh both Deer Creek shows in 95 and you guys have talked about this on on the podcast a number of times but those were kind of infamous uh dates in Grateful Dead history because the the July 2nd show which I was at um there were way too many people there it's a pretty small venue it's an awesome venue if you can get to a show there um but there were so many people there that didn't have tickets uh, and they ended up crashing the gates. And if you listen to the audience tape now during Desolation Row, you can hear when it happens. Um, you know, all of us on the inside saw people streaming over the fence. And I think there was just this sense of like, you know, kind of gratitude for these heads who were struggling. You know, they didn't have tickets and they were able to get in. And so you can hear the crowd cheering for these guys. And, and in retrospect, it's like, uh, yeah, it's probably not cool that we were you know, cheering on the uh, the anarchists who were breaking down the fence. And then it did, you know, it was like noticeably crowded on the lawn and they turned the, the lights on and, and uh, you know, it was just a, a weird show, uh, but it ended up being the only show I went to with Jerry because then they canceled the next night. Um, so those are the only two tickets we had. I remember in the week after um, my now brother-in-law, um, he and I both were at, at the show and, and my wife, um, and we talked about getting in the car and driving to Chicago to see the Soldier Field shows. And we were so close to doing that. And it was just like, well, you know what, we'll, we'll catch them on the fall tour. We'll catch them next time. And, you know, famous last words, that was, that was not to be. So, um, yeah, kind of a rambling Grateful Dead origin story, but yeah, I've been, I've been pretty much, uh, you know, hooked since, uh, since late 94 and 95. Thanks Murph. Really appreciate you, uh, being here and you're up one zero in the series. Um, Jack, you're only one year off and Murph made you pay there, but you guessed 73. Uh, what'd you hear there? Um, I can't even remember what song that was. <laughs> <laughs> Greatest story ever told. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, no, I was going back and forth between 73 and 74. Um, I probably listened to a few versions of that from 73 shows. The uh, the only time they ever played in Lincoln, Nebraska opened up with that song. And so that's, you know, I listen to that all the time. So I thought maybe it was 73. And then at the end, I almost put 74. And then I thought, Ooh. no, go with your gut. Went 73, which 
if I've learned anything in the last 45 years is don't go with your gut, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. How did you become uh-huh. a deadhead? Oh, man. Um, I mean, really, it started with my parents. They're not deadheads per se, but my dad went to some shows, but they were rock and roll fans, you know, graduated high school in 1971. And uh, they were into, if there was something cool in the early 70s, they were into it, you know. Like, I mean, the the normal stuff that, you know, everybody knows, Hendrix and the Beatles and Crosby, Stills and Nash. But I grew up listening to like uh, Quicksilver, New Riders, uh, Rory Gallagher, It's a Beautiful Day, um, you know, like all that kind of stuff. So seventh and eighth grade, I went into my gangster rap phase, you know, like that's all, all I listened to and came out of that, got into you know, ninth grade and then high school. Uh, and I started seeing the kids around with the Grateful Dead shirts. And I was like, hey, I know that band, you know, what are you guys into? Like hanging around with them, doing the things they were doing. And then I met the kids who wore the Grateful Dead shirts and listened to the music. Um, and so I started hanging around with them. So then uh, spring of spring of 95, I was 17 years old. And my buddy was like, hey, let's try to go down to Memphis. Let's drive down to Memphis. They're playing at the Pyramid Arena. We'll go to those shows. And I was like, all right, yeah, cool. I don't know. Let's let's see if we can make it happen. You know, and our both of our, our parents were like letting us go. And we're like, all right, all right, yeah. And then we both got in trouble for something. I don't I think I might have gotten suspended from school, or I don't even remember what happened. So we weren't we weren't allowed to go. Like both of us were like, nope, you're grounded, you can't go. So like that morning, like I s- left for school, like, okay, going to school, but I had packed a bag and put it out my window, grabbed that, walked over to my friend's house. My buddy Zach picked me up and we drove to Memphis and I left a note on the back of my bedroom door. Mom and dad, I know I'm not supposed to go, but I really think this is going to be a learning experience, and, you know, the whole thing. Um, so we drove down to Memphis and didn't get in the first night, but April 2nd was my first show. We got in that night. Um we promised each other we would never tell anyone how much we spent buying tickets from a scalper. Um, <laughs> it was just amazing just being there around the people. Even that first night we didn't get in, just being on the lot, being around the people. Like these are these are my people. Went back home, graduated that year. I knew some some people who had been on tour the summer before, and they asked me if I wanted to go on tour. And I was like, well, yeah, of course. And I didn't even ask my parents. I was just like, I graduated from high school. I can do whatever I want. I'm going. And my mom's like, yeah, of course you are. We know. Just be careful. You know? So I went East Coast Tour 95. I saw nine shows out of that. I was at that Deer Creek show. I was at not inside. I was out in the lot. I remember seeing everybody running up there. I don't know. I was probably, who knows what I was doing in the lot. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, look at that. Um, and I was at that last show in Chicago um on the way home we were talking about trying to get tickets for fall tour stuff like that so it's a funny connection between you guys there the <laughs> almost going to the last show seeing the last show being at uh, Deer Creek it's awesome um it's pretty cool yeah all right let's see what happens with the game let's see who gets tasty waves dies prize pack from our pal Dave let's play this on <laughs>
Sugaree at the Sportatorium in Pembroke Pines, Florida on April 7th, 1978. The Sportatorium was essentially an airplane hangar made of concrete. It had a steel roof, asphalt floor, and no air conditioning. All right, so Murph guessed 77, Jack guessed 79. Nobody gets the point. Murph, one year off of 78 was 77. What'd you hear there? Um, well, it sounded familiar to me. I don't know that I really know that show that well, but there was like a familiarity there. And I don't know, like a lot of people, I probably listened to, you know, more sugaries from 77 than any other, other year. It had that tempo that was familiar. Um, so I just thought, you know what, I, I can't really say that this recording sounds distinctively like a 77 or, or that the band's, you know, I, I was shaky on the guess, but uh, I'm, I'm not shocked that it's not 77, but um, yeah, that was my best guess. Yeah, only one year off. Um, Jack, 79. That was, I think that was sort of a, it could have been 77, 78, 79 for me. And that was sort of a, just trying to get exactly right you know like if it is 79 then maybe he, he'll be guessing too and so we'll see what happens they don't name places like the sportatorium anymore though that's for sure no <laughs> yeah yeah i saw that i was like i thought i was like seeing double or something i was like the sport to touch like how many uh-huh. t's are we talking here <laughs> well same situation murph is up one zero in the series he needs one to win jack needs one to tie it up and force a game three let's play the song Guesses are in. Blow Away at Rich Stadium on June 16th, 1990. Blow Away was performed 23 times between 88 and 90. After Brent died, it was understandably never played again. Murph is the new champion of Guess the Year. He guessed 1989. Jack guessed 1986. Murph, not an easy path to become champ. Some might say the hardest path ever to become champ, actually. Congratulations to you. Um, yeah, what'd you hear? 89. Um, well, First, Jack, uh, awesome job. It's been so fun doing this with you. And and I, I do love that connection. You know, we're both at Deer Creek in 1995 and, um, you know, kind of getting into this music at the same time. And 
Um, so for the, for the blow away, man, um, you know, to me, it was a toss up between 89 and 90. I, I wasn't really thinking anything earlier than 89, just because I, I thought they, um, that 89, 90 sound to me is just a, a stronger sound than, you know, the earlier, uh, kind of 88, 87, just you know, they're, they're shakier. They're, there's not that authority. Um, and to me that, that sounded, you know, I don't, I'm not a huge blow away fan. Um, I kind of love when Brent, you know, goes off at the end and does his Brent thing, but you know, that's not going to be a song that I'm going to play to somebody to like get them into the dead. But at the same time, that felt like a pretty strong performance of the song. And um, I guess I, I thought, you know what, you, you, know that they didn't play it any later than 90 and so i'm going to hedge my bets and i'm going to guess 89 um but to me it was really a toss up between those two years or if you've been playing the game all game and you won the game uh, <laughs> but you are uh, i think better than anyone i've seen just playing the game and playing me and doing your homework with past episodes congratulations you uh yeah very impressive well, yeah, thanks. This is this is so fun, and and I just love that you have created an outlet for me to do this thing that I've been doing in the car for years and years, and uh, you know, doing with as like the party trick to uh, impress my kids. Who, <laughs> you know, um, I will say after years and years of me doing this, I feel like by the process of osmosis, like they are they're starting to come around. My son is the one who he's sixteen. He's the one that uh, he's on Grateful Dead TikTok, which apparently is a thing, uh, and he found a reference to this show and is the one that told me about the show. Um, and he's, he's getting into the music. I think he's listened to every Dick's picks kind of, you know, uh, volume one through volume, whatever it is, 36. So he's, he's into it. My daughter, uh, she just ordered a steal your face sticker to slap on her ski helmet. Um, you know, she, she loves the kind of the, the vibe too. Um, and, you know, hopefully she'll be getting into the music too, but yeah. So just, you giving us this outlet to do this, uh, this thing that we love to do is just so awesome. I, uh, I love the podcast. Thanks Murph. Appreciate that. And I'm sure the TikTok that, uh, your son saw was Ethan J. Rosenberg's TikTok, who was on the show and has been, um, you know, making posts about it in a, in a arena we are not in. So thank you, uh, Ethan shout out. And I'm glad that it led his posts led to, uh, you being here, Murph. Really appreciate it. Jack, good run. You guessed 86. Um, no, I was thinking it was early towards the end of that. I, I thought now Jerry's guitar sounds later eighties and I just kind of went 86 could be in the middle, you know, good game Murph. Yeah. Good, good game for sure. Yeah. No, fun. this was, this was a lot of fun. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of ways to listen to the grateful dead. Yes. In the year, each time you hear a song come on is, is one of them for sure. <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you guys all for being here. Really appreciate it. Subscribe to Guest of the Year on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For all the show links, including our new YouTube channel, go to guestoftheyear.net. And if you want to be a contestant on the show, sponsor the show, or make comments and ask questions, email us at guestoftheyearshow at gmail.com. Thanks so much to Tasty Waves Dives for doing the prize pack. Dave, again, you, you heard his story at the beginning, but he just started doing it, I guess, like how anyone does anything, but... You sure wouldn't think it, judging by his dies. He's a good guy, good dyer. Thank you so much for doing this, Dave. And thank you to Mason for tapping Dave to do the prize pack. Mason, a.k.a. at From the Lot on Instagram. 
he curates all of our prize packs and yeah thank you mason thank you also to dylan who draws the posters thank you so much for listening for the fun facts i relied heavily on dead.net dead disc and grateful dead of the day and their commenters so thank you to them thanks to the amazing tapers whose recordings made this show possible congratulations to our new champ murph and to other contestants thanks so much for playing and remember it's all one song anyways and i bet you good night good night good night and i bet you good night good night Good night.